Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fitness Candor Podcast. I am joined today by Corey Van Wyk, and he is a kinesiology instructor at um, Northwestern College in Iowa. Not only is he a kinesiology instructor, but he is the assistant strength and conditioning coach, um, or coordinator. So he, I think it's really important what he's doing because not only is he a kinesiology instructor, and the assistant strength and conditioning coordinator, he's a former personal trainer. So what? basically, he's been in the trenches, he's done the work, and now he's teaching people who want to become personal trainers. So that's really important because I think um, a lot of the time when we get into the industry, and this goes across the board for any industry, business and politics and whatever, you have a lot of people that sit behind the big desk and they'll talk the talk, but they've never walked the walk. And Corey has done both. So, Corey, I appreciate you coming on today, man. Why don't you um, uh, give us, uh, fill in the gaps of, of what I've already said. Sure. Well, hey, uh, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I kind of got a dual role in, as far as my uh, path to get here, and for going back to, I guess, my origin story, so to speak. Um, my undergraduate degree uh, was in strength and conditioning. Um, so really early on, I, I got a really good experience. So I went to uh, a pretty small school in Pella, Iowa called Central College. And what was really great about that is as a second semester freshman, I was able to start working on the floor with a full-time strength and conditioning coach coaching athletes. So that really got my, you know, formal education uh, off on a really good start. So by the time that I left college, I had a solid three years of coaching under my belt, um, as well as getting some more, I mean, it was still pretty young, but I was still getting some more strength and conditioning specific courses, but the same, along with that, I was coaching and then doing, you know, every semester we had a new set of academic requirements that were assigned to us by our strength coach. Um, so that was, that was, pretty awesome. And uh, I was really, really lucky to have that uh, just getting started as a, as a young coach uh, learning. Um, from there, I decided to go the nutrition route in graduate school. So I went to grad school at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where I got my master's in nutrition and exercise um, and kind of got my feet wet in the world of of nutrition. My first year, uh, I was an intern on the sports nutrition staff. So at the time, Nebraska had two full-time sports dietitians who worked with all the athletes. Uh, so I assisted on that staff, uh, worked a little bit cl more closely with men's basketball uh, as their kind of nutrition li liaison to our head guy um, and, you know, got to see that side of things. Uh, and then my second year, I became a teaching assistant for the nutrition department. Uh, so that's where I really got my start with regards to the teaching side. Um, yeah, it was great. It was, I uh, got to, uh, I, I was a TA for four different classes, anywhere from the entry level freshman class all the way to the senior level advanced nutrition class. And not only did I kind of take that class three times because <laughs> as a TA, I had to, I sat in on every class. Oh, so yeah. I took it myself uh, my first year. And then for two semesters, I sat in on the class. So I, I kind of got to hear it three times, which was really good. Um, but then I, I got to lecture as well. So each semester, they gave me a little bit more. Uh, really, lecturing was whatever I wanted to do. So, you know, first semester, I did two lectures. Next semester, I did four lectures. Uh, and it was a really good start to, to kind of, I guess, my teaching, teaching career. Um, so after 
Nebraska, I decided to start down the road to earning a PhD. Uh, and I did that at Iowa State University. Uh, that was also in nutrition. Uh, so I was at Iowa State for about a year and a half before I ultimately decided to, to leave the program uh, just because, uh, like you and I had talked in the past, of it just wasn't for me. Uh, so as someone who was a trained coach and had, you know, was used to having lots of interactions with people, always trying to, you know, I would take the science and then try to figure out, okay, how do I take the science and put it in a way that's digestible to a basketball player or right. someone who doesn't know the heavy science and doesn't care about the heavy science. And uh, just that interaction with, with people on a daily basis, coaching them, being, like you said before, in the trenches. Uh, I went from that every day to being in a lab every day, you know, basically exactly what you imagine a scientist being, like lab coat, pipetting small amounts of fluids into little minuscule uh, <laughs> um, you know, every, all the research we were doing was in rodents. So I spent more time with mice and rats than people. And yeah, it just, it just was not my thing. So, um, before I got too deep into it, I, I ended up leaving. And then as you mentioned, I was a personal trainer. And after that time is when I became a personal trainer. So I, I kind of in the transition between Iowa state and where I'm at now, I, uh, I was a personal trainer at a real at the time a relatively small gym in Des Moines called Elite Edge, uh, and I did everything from large group fitness to uh, personal training to semi-private small group stuff. Did some nutrition uh, as much as I could with regards to any clients that wanted uh, a meeting on it. Uh, so I kind of got a lot of a lot of different experiences there. Uh, and then through that time, the job here came, came open or I found out about it and the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. <clears throat> so yeah. what, what, uh, what was your favorite aspect of, of personal training? Like when you first got into it, did you prefer the, the small group setting or were you more one-on-one? -on -one? What, uh, did you have a, a, a preference? You know, um, well, first of all, coming when I first started, I was just happy to be with people again. Right, sure. <laughs> you know, I was just so happy to 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 uh, be around uh, people and just feel the energy that not only that I had to bring, but that they gave me. You know, you know when you see when the clients are walking in, the class starts at five, and they're walking in at five or four forty-five, and you know they kind of don't want to be there. They're kind of like, oh man, was it a good idea to get out of bed this morning? <laughs> right. Uh, but then, you know, you say, hi, how you doing? You know, how was your night last night? You ready to go? And, and just kind of that energy that I just never got in, in like the lab setting. Yeah. But honestly, uh, what was somewhat refreshing about the whole ordeal was getting back to the basics. Right. Of, right. okay, I'm used to basically most athletes, let's say you're trying to get them to learn how to squat. I mean, for the most part, most, most athletes have a general idea. Sure. And I was dealing with people who had literally had no conception of most movements and kind of stripping that all back down to challenging yourself as a coach on how to, okay, now how do I, how do I teach this to someone who has no, no coming in with no conception of exercise, of movement? Uh, how do I how do I work with this person? How do I explain it? Uh, and I just kind of found that refreshing. Um, so there's also this aspect, and I'm sure you know this as well, and a lot of your listeners know. It's just the the goal can be different sometimes. Whereas athletes, um, there's somewhat of a sense of okay, you have a performance goal, and depending on that performance goal, there's some things you got to do regardless of how maybe you feel. So as, as an athlete, yeah, you're going to have to deal with times of the year where you're, you're, you're beat up, you're sore, you're tired. Uh, and what was nice about and kind of freeing about the personal training setting is I, I didn't have to do anything. Like if, if we were doing something that was not agreeing with the client, right? I don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, I can, I have so many different things that I can do with 
and, and effectively train somebody. And that to me was a little bit scary at the time because I'm like, oh man, I, I don't have a very, um, my toolbox wasn't very full of tools at the time. Okay. So, but being a personal trainer forced me to learn about not only what other tools are out there, but how to use them. Right. And that made me a better coach. Hands like no doubt made me a better coach. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, going back to what you said about, you know, when you're teaching someone who doesn't really have a grasp on, let's say learning the basics, I almost prefer working with someone who is a blank slate than mm -hmm. someone who, who may or may not know already how to do certain exercises. Cause then you have, you, then you're either, you're tweaking more, um, you, cause every, everybody's going to have their own little cues. And I think like re-coaching cues to, to someone who maybe has, who spent time with one or two other trainers or coaches. So I kind of prefer that, you know, if someone comes in, like I've never worked with a trainer, I've never done a squat or yeah, has very little sure. experience, but I mean, obviously I enjoy working with, with all types, but that blank slate is almost like a, like, Oh good. It's like Play-Doh. Mm -hmm. I, I get to, <laughs> you have no bad habits to break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the only bad habits that could happen are the ones that you, you know, you end up giving them if you're, if you're inexperienced, right. you know, which which kind of goes into this next section of, of the people that you work with now, the students. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important for, especially for anybody listening who is thinking or has ever thought about going into personal training, because finding someone to learn from is more valuable, I think, than getting maybe a degree or a certification. Now, those other things are super important, no doubt about it. But having someone to, to show you the ropes and how to interact with people, how to use those coaching cues, um, how to train a variety of people across the board is you can't put a price on that. And you can't put um, any kind of I mean, it's just it goes above and beyond uh, what a piece of paper, you know, says who you are. So give us a little detail on the people that are coming into your program and where they start and what you try to accomplish with them as far as students like yeah. our students right. yeah so uh academically uh the program that i'm involved in is it's under it's kind of under the umbrella of our exercise science um degree so our students have they, they major in exercise science and then if they decide that they want to do strength and conditioning uh, they do what's called a career concentration. So um, that means, just briefly, um, it's not quite a major, but it's more than a minor. All right, so they, they're fairly involved with, with as far as what coursework and then time on the floor with us. Okay. So at, if everything works, you know, as it's set up right now, they'll start their sophomore year and they'll take a practicum course that I teach and we go over all the basics of basically training. So we, we go over exercise technique, we go over um, the basics of speed training, how to do a warm up. Um, we get into a little bit of coaching, we get into some conditioning, we get into how, you know, how to develop strength and power, you know, introductory, introductory type stuff, and then they have a certain hour requirement to meet on the floor with, with us, with myself and our head coach. Um, then in their junior year, they take a second practicum where they learn programming principles as well as some other advanced uh, topics. And then their hour requirement is increased and, and we will also ask more of them on the floor. Okay. So they may totally lead a warm up by themselves. We may, uh, rely on them for exercise instruction. You know, if maybe we've got a couple programs running at the same time on the same team, uh, maybe I'll take the upperclassmen and then our student will take the freshman or vice versa. Just kind of however, um, you know, we deem it be best for their strengths pretty much. And, but they, they, they definitely become more involved at that point. Um, and then their senior year, they take a third practicum where again, hours increase as far as time on the floor with us, uh, but then they get their own team. Okay. So we will give them one of our teams completely and they become the strength coach for that team. Uh, so they design all the speed work, 
lifting, whatever it is for the entire semester for for a, for a specific team, and that's kind of you know the 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 culmination of the first two semesters, um, and if as much as possible, and this is something we're working towards, they're hopefully with us every semester. So if we know that they want to be um, a strength conditioning coach full time. We, we kind of expect them to be with us every semester. So it's not that they're not getting the coaching experience when they're not in a practicum class, but but they will be on the floor with us every semester if that's their goal. Right. If they just want to learn more about it, if like their athletic training, um, maybe not require that. But if they're strength conditioning, they're with us every semester in some capacity. Okay. Uh, and then they also do a senior research project that culminates in like a, a an end of the their road or senior presentation uh, where they give, you know, they'll may, maybe research something that's just in, that they're interested in and then also give us a report on uh, what they learned with their team. Nice. Yeah. So, and then, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say another aspect of this, and this is required out of all of our strength or, or all of our exercise science is they, uh, and maybe this is more common at other universities. I don't know. But it was not when I was a student, and I wish it would have been, but we require an outside internship to graduate for all exercise science students. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So let's cycle back to, okay, so the, the students are getting into um, their upperclassmen years, and they're working with these athletes. What does... I'm assuming, are they working like hand in hand with uh, athletic trainers also, physical therapists, thing, things like that? Or are they kind of just, um, are they taking on that whole role of injury management, prevention, et cetera? Uh, the students? Yeah. Are the students kind of taking on the role? Are, are they working hand in hand with athletic trainers and, and the, the whole? If, okay. if, um, if they are athletic training, yes. Okay. If they uh, if they are strength and conditioning, they're with us with the strength coaches. Do they do, do those paths ever cross? Do they ever? Mm. They have. It's it, it's extremely tricky. <laughs> okay. Because if you're athletic training, the amount of hours required. Oh yeah. Like I just got an email from a from one of my athletes, uh, who has a conflict with a lifting group because he's in the athletic training room every day from three o'clock to six 30 or something like that. Right. And it, when you have to also fulfill an hour requirement with us, that becomes difficult because we, those are prime training hours. We don't, we don't really train past six that, that late at night. Right. So even if it's something like, you know, 50 hours in the semester, well, that means they have one option. They got to come in the morning. Okay. Uh, so it, it has been done. We've worked with students to do that, but um, for the most part, um, if they're strength and conditioning, they're just with us. Now, one one thing that we are going to move to is we will have a Masters of Athletic Training program here starting within the next few years. Okay. So I don't know if that's going to change things, if maybe you know one of the GAs might be kind of more on our end. I don't know. But right right now, it's it's somewhat it's pretty separate. But okay. Part of their athletic training program requires them to observe us for quite a few hours. I'm not exactly sure how many hours, but part of their program in one of their classes is that they observe strength and conditioning. Really? So they do okay. they do get to see what we do, uh, and I I'm I'm pretty intentional with going up to them and not just letting them veg vegetate in the corner of the room. <laughs> right. I I will like I will constantly ask you know every couple times before or during a session ask if they have questions because then at least they they know i'm going to come ask them so at least they're thinking uh about it or hopefully you know somewhat engaged but i just flat out tell them all right here's the workout it, this this is for this this is for that this is why we do this so that that they know so that is part of their program okay cool the reason why I'm asking is because I, I feel, you know, our, our previous conversation we had was getting these students working with people who are already injured, athletes who are already injured. And so when they go out, even if they don't end up working with, um, you know, someone who is uh, maybe, you know, a high level athlete, 
just dealing with an injury is mm -hmm. it's a lot different seeing that in person than it is um, <coughs> you know just reading it out of a book and saying oh, okay so. well the manual says x y and z <laughs> so let's do that so I was, I was wondering how that's addressed with uh, your program uh a lot of that falls on me at the okay. moment as far as like if an athlete has a, has an issue um yeah i i uh i'm the guy that they have to come to basically okay. and um that's something that i'm more and more and more involving in the classes that i teach oh cool good so especially personal training like me and you talked about that how, how uh you know when i got into personal training i immediately wished that i knew how to how to work with injured people better right <laughs> Because, you know, go, and it goes back to the tools in the toolbox. You know, I did not have the tools in my toolbox. If someone can't overhead press or has pain overhead pressing or something like that, I was kind of like, well, I guess we're not going to use that limb right. at all. Whereas now I've, I've got several things that I could, could do with a, with a person. Or, um, or, you know, that my menu there has expanded drastically. So I'm working on trying to incorporate that into the, the class that works best for me is personal training because um, typically they're a little higher level. Like for my practicum to, uh, one class for those sophomores, they, they don't have enough of a base yet to start getting into more exercise variations. Uh, but I do make sure that if I'm adjusting uh, an athlete's card that they know what I'm adjusting and why okay yep so i try to make sure we're all on the same page with that or, or I'll, I'll go up to my students and say hey so and so has this issue this is what i did with them and we just have a, a short discussion on on uh my reasoning behind it okay good yeah because yeah, yeah we, we did talk about that it's it's one thing to to know the body and know how everything operates you know human physiology is extremely important and knowing um how to adapt to things but when it comes down to actually putting everything in practice, I mean, I think one of the most, this is 100% um, my opinion, but I think one of the best things that a, a trainer or a coach could have is being able to go hands-on and do manual exercises um, with, with a client or an athlete. To be able to be right up on top of them, and if you have like a shoulder injury, if they can't do a dumbbell lateral raise and then you can't do a manual lateral raise, well, they, you, know, you can do a, um, a cross-body extension or something with that with that arm and show them and show another athlete how to execute that motion so they can kind of train each other or, um, you know, mm -hmm. they, they learn, they kind of, they feed off of each other and they kind of learn other things. And then you start, you start to, um, help them adapt to their injury. So they know that they can still make progression. I mean, that, that's yeah, it's, it's, important. It's and having that, that menu and toolbox is great, is really important for the athlete because, First of all, it gives you as the trainer or the coach more credibility because yeah. you're finding a way that they can still train. 100%. And, and then they're not just on the sidelines where they don't they feel like that they're not part of the group or the, the session's over. I mean, I, I remember being that way as an athlete where if, if something, if I had to like completely um, not train a limb or something for whatever um, reason, I kind of got down on myself and you know, I felt very isolated. So if you as a coach have the knowledge base to, to be able to figure out multiple ways to train somebody and work around the injury, I think that's invaluable. Absolutely. I remember when, when I played uh, basketball and would get injured and you, you it's like <laughs> you sprain an ankle or something. You're like, Oh, no more weight room. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That's it. You're like, no, I'm done. No. I'm going to sit out. That's it. And now, you know, it's obviously it's a long time past, but, um, you know, you start to learn and adapt and you have one other healthy, healthy leg. And then you, you have another, um, obviously all upper body and there's other things you can do. So having, yeah, the, having those tools, like you said, is, is super important. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're, when you're teaching these people about exercise variety, uh, do you get into the type of clients? Do you get into client specifics like, uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you develop. You know, like Su Susie's a 65 year old uh, retired person who has. I don't know. Let's just say 
um, a hip replacement? Do you mm-hmm. kind of do you, do you dive into those kind of things and then say, here's how you can execute this exercise program at the same time? It'll also work with um, Joe, who is a you know 35 year old healthy former athlete. Uh. Yes, we just so I teach personal personal training every other year. So at this point, I've only got okay. it twice. Okay. And I'll be honest, I'll be very honest. That my first year I taught it, I was not like it was it was year one, semester one on the job. You know, oh, I'd been oh, yeah. I'd been out of uh, strength and conditioning and training in general for a good three years, um, other than my short time as a personal trainer. And so that class, we did not get into it very much just because personally, I just didn't have my, my knowledge base wasn't up to speed this past year. So last fall, we did start to get into that. Um, and a large part of class became, we went down into the weight room and it was exercise demos. So just stuff that I wish I would have known and had in my back pocket as a student. Yep. I tried to give them that. And luckily that specific class was pretty advanced. Uh, most of them were actually our, our students and they were seniors. So I felt really comfortable, you know, it talking about, you know, even like, so like a joint stacking approach, I knew they already knew what all that was. So, um, we could go from there. But yeah, we definitely started to delve a lot more into that. And so on their exams, their like short answer essays were like some mini case studies. So when I, I know when I, when I was going through, um, this is over 10, 12 years ago now, but mm. when I was going through, we would, it would basically, you know, the person would have to write down, you, you have a partner in class with a partner, write an exercise program for them and go. And that was basically, that was it. And most of the people in the class were already healthy. They were already, you know, a lot of them were college athletes to begin with. And we never really got that hands-on. Oh, yeah. You know, n- nobody ever said like, yeah. okay, this person, well, you know, there was like the, the, the practical stuff, you know, everything on paper, they would have uh, a lot of people having injuries and things like that. But it really <laughs> wasn't even, it still didn't feel real life. You know, obviously on yeah. paper, nothing is comparable on paper. No, like, but yeah, when you're, when you're when I'm dealing with like somebody who's the same age as me and they're healthy and I just got done playing basketball (laughs) with them like the night before and you're like, all right, make an exercise program. We basically had almost the exact same program, right? I mean, there's no no limitations. Yeah. No limitations, very little variety. And, um, you know, when you're going through the coaching, you know, you're, you're already coaching someone who knows how to exercise. Well, basic, the basics of exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it's super important when, when students are learning how to do this, they learn how to coach differently. They learn, they learn that uh, not every conversation is going to be the same on how you uh, describe an exercise and oh, yeah. the intensity, the pace, the cadence of how you say things. All that's going to change along the way, right? Totally. And that, that actually is another element I've started to, to add and more specifically to that personal training course is mm-hmm. um, how do you talk to clients? Yeah. How do you uh, relate to people? Um, I'm not saying that I'm good at it or that I, I you know, know all that much about it, but in addition to working with people who have injuries, that's the other thing I wish would have been more more upfront or brought up to me as a student. Like, yes, know the know the fundamentals and basics of training. You're going to get that in the classroom, like the base fundamentals. I mean, hopefully you will um, if you're in a good exercise science program. But man, like, I wish people would have told me, "Hey, Corey, you need to start thinking more about um, learning about how what makes people tick." Yeah, right. The inter- like, what what do you say to clients? behavior change, all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember I had a student in my office several several weeks ago. She was doing an, an assignment for her coaching methods class. One of her questions, she interviewed me, and one of her questions was, um, what advice do you have for upcoming coaches? So this would be more like sport coaches. And my answer was start learning how to work with people and influence people. Mm, and yeah interactions with with human beings and it sounds weird but at the end of the day that's 
we are kind of always salesmen in the fact that, you know, in my setting, they're just given to me and they're like, hey, Corey's your coach. And I have to figure out a way to reach a couple hundred athletes. Right. Um, and I mean, you can make your arguments about the private sector and the fact that they're, they, they choose to come to you and whatnot. But at the same time, you're still selling your program. You're still trying to build buy-in. Exactly. And uh, so I, that was my answer to her. Like, learn, start now learning how to, to address a group of people, how to manage a group of people, how to relate to people, uh, even how to word certain things, whether you, you mentioned cueing and coaching. Mm-hmm. Like, when I, when I uh, watched a Nick Winkleman, years, a couple years ago, I watched a Nick Winkleman presentation called What You Say Matters, and it was all about cueing. And I didn't know anything about internal versus external cueing, and it, it was a huge paradigm shift for me. And that changed the way that I coach. And same, same with just how you relate to people. You know, Brett Bartholomew is doing a fantastic job of that right now, of bringing that to the forefront of, hey, coaches, trainers, you need to think about this stuff. Right. Uh, and her, her reaction to my answer was just kind of like, I know she was expecting me to say something about training theory and, um, you know, learning the technical side. And honestly, I think maybe the, it needs to be the other way. Because you're going to get that, that the fundamentals, the basics, the principles in your education, but you're not going to get this other stuff. Yeah, hands down. I think the buy-in part, and I'm really big on buy-in. I've been talking a lot about that lately. And when I mm. say buy-in to people, I, I, may, I need to find a different way to approach it. Because a lot of people, when they think that, they automatically think like, oh, you're just trying to sell yourself so people will pay, give you money. <laughs> <laughs> to continue, but unless you're you're in it and you know understand what buying means, like you're you understand your program, you under how you understand how to relay it, and you understand how to execute your mm. your program, and that person completely trusts you and understands yeah. that it's the best yeah. for them. Yeah, you're not and, trying to be sleazy salesman like car car salesman, but it has nothing to do you with it. To, you yeah. know, I mean, you can think of it as a form of manipulation, but. It's all with trying to build trust to sell something that we believe is going to enhance someone's life. Right, exactly. Yes. That's it. You know, and I, I think uh, this kind of leads us right into another topic that I wanted to, to go into that we talked about is, sure. is people that are, uh, are coming into the program, I, I shouldn't say program, coming into the industry um, because they can go out and get, they, they can get a certification and you not really have a knowledgeable background. They've only trained themselves or maybe had somebody else train them one time. So they, they like the idea of being in the industry and being a trainer or a coach without mm-hmm. any actual practical experience. And there's been a lot of talk in the media lately about, um, and, and you know, unless you're, again, in the industry, you probably haven't really paid much attention. But this idea of licensure and accreditation mm-hmm. and I think it, I think there's some really good parts to it, but I also think there's some I mean there's some limitations to it also. Yeah, um, absolutely. So anyway, so I'm, I'm cycling back around here. When someone comes into, there needs to be set spe- uh, specifications. Like I completely agree with that. But who who gets to say, and who gets to tell me how I get to distribute a program? You know. Like that, that to me is, I think one of the biggest, one of my biggest issues is we already have, what what are the top 10, um, the top 10 certification, you know, courses that, that people look into and they kind of go down the line, down the line. And it's great that some of them require you to have a degree. Some of them require you to have experience, but you know, as you go down the line, it becomes easier and easier to become a coach or a personal trainer. And, Mm -hmm. um, and and with that, there's like what what is the buy-in process for that person? If they're if you're talking to somebody and say, because not everybody's gonna walk up to you and say, hey, I just want to get ripped. <laughs> no, I want <laughs> yeah. I want to be jacked. Like yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter because once that you may have five clients like that if you're starting out, and that's the kind of people that you want to attract, and that's the kind of person that you are, and then you get that one person that that walks up to you and says, hey, I've got I've got a bad back because I sit at a desk for forty hours a week. How can you train me? Well, mm-hmm. do you know what's the protocol on that? And I, I think this whole idea of licensure and accreditation—hopefully, it's not going to limit people to only using you know three modalities. 
I'm not sure you yeah. know how much input you can you have on that, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely I definitely hear what you're saying on that with regards to you don't want everyone you don't want to just start pumping out everyone that does the same stuff, right? right. Is exactly. That kind of, um, here's where I think where I would like to see maybe it move towards and why maybe I'm a little bit more of a proponent of licensure or I, I don't know what if that's the specific or maybe just more um, rigorous uh, certification standards. Uh, and I'll go back to kind of just my personal experience on the training staff that I was a part of and we had some great people. We did some great things. I was the only one with an education, with a formal education. Uh, and I had my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I just very uncomfortable as as a professional who who has gone through a lot of schooling on this. Right. I'm uncomfortable with, and, and I'm not saying there's not great trainers out there who don't have a formal education because there are. Right. Um, but there's also a lot of not so good ones. Oh yeah, definitely. Just doing things that are unsafe or, um, just don't make much sense. Uh, so I would like to see the overall training, official training of the field increase. And I don't know, maybe you have a different experience with that. Um, but you know, even in strength and conditioning, just because you have your, and it goes both ways, right? If just because you have certification really doesn't mean anything. Like, sure. yeah, I have my CSCS, but um, that doesn't mean I know how to coach. Right. <laughs> so exactly. there's that too. So maybe you know the CSCCA does a great job of their certification for strength conditioning is a lot more involved with having to be under under a master strength coach, and it's a much more rigorous exam kind of thing. Um, so maybe that's a step in the right direction, but. You know, it was a little bit of a tough pill for me to swallow, quite honestly, that myself and a and a, a high school recent high school graduate had the same same job. Yeah, good point. Um, not to say I didn't learn stuff from him. He's a great kid, and I learned a lot from him. But at the same time, I'm not sure if that's a how it should. That shouldn't be the norm. Right. Where where I think there's a lot of situations like that where. You know, they have their ACE certification or their NAS certification, and that's that. Oh, you can be a trainer. Uh, and I, I guess personally, and, and this is just because here at Northwestern, the program we're a part of, we do not see exercise. Exercise science for us isn't something that you just do because you like to work out and you like sports. <laughs> right. They find out very quickly that, no, this is a science, this is a science degree. Uh-huh. And so if you're not ready to start to take this pretty seriously and know your stuff, it might not be the program for you. Definitely. And, and maybe that's going to put some people away, but it also means that the people we turn out are going to be quality. Yeah. And that's good. what I would like to see the field move towards. Maybe not quite like a medical PT, medical uh, professional, but man, I... I I would like to see it move more towards um, just being taken more seriously, I guess. And if you hear a personal trainer, that should be associated with, oh, I, that person, they know their stuff. Right. Not not the sometimes um, stigma. Oh, oh, anyone can be a trainer. Right. Exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, the other way. Hundred percent. Yeah. There's, you know, because there's and I got me kind of thinking. There's. You know, when somebody walks up and the first thing, first thing that they ask you, let's say a potential client, if they even ask you, what certification do you have? And I'm not, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't have a certification. Okay? I, have, right. I have a master's have, uh, in kinesiology and a bachelor's in kinesiology and I had 10 years of experience. Like that's what I, that's what I tell them. And honestly, yeah. I'll, I'll tell them first 10 years of experience and then I'll follow it up with the degrees. Like yeah. the, the experience I feel like is so freaking important. And it goes overlooked because if I just told, if I told you, you come up to me, Corey, and you're like, Hey, you know, what certification do you have? And I tell you ISSA and you're like, okay, great. So you're certified. What does that mean? If I tell you ISSA versus NASM or yeah. versus NSCA or versus yeah. ACE, like there's, what, what's the difference if, if all you're worried about is just the, 
the uh, the letters behind the name. Like it doesn't mean anything. Now, granted, if if you're a serious person um, who's invested in the industry and you want to become the best personal trainer you possibly can, so you go out there, you you have to. Let's say you someone requires you to have a certification, so you go out there and get that ISSA certification to to teach and to learn from that person, just for um, safety reasons. Okay. Mm -hmm. Liability reasons. Yep. I, to I totally yep. get it. Awesome. You can take that as serious as you want to take it by completing CEUs that matter. CEUs mm -hmm. that are going to benefit you. CEUs that are going to benefit your clients. You can 100% do that, but that's still, that, that still shouldn't be a de determining factor whether or not someone is a, is uh, qualified enough. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, it's disheartening to me, but I, I don't want to see. But I also don't want to see every single person be limited by here. Here are the only guidelines you should follow. You know, I, I that oh, that, totally. that, yeah, that no. seems that seems a little that kind of it's a little suffocating. It seems a little restricted. And I understand other places um, across the board, other um, industries have that. But I was talking to a friend today who owns um, a facility in Louisville, Kentucky, and. He's like, you know, it's it's funny to me that someone has to be licensed to sell a house, but not licensed to be a personal trainer. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a, that's a good. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, you have to be licensed to cut hair. Look, first of all, a licensed <laughs> barber. I love my barber, and he's awesome. I'm never gonna go to anybody. Like I, I'll go to him, hands yeah. down. Okay, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not taking that away from anybody. Like having a licensure is extremely important. Why doesn't personal training have a licensing practice? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? That discussion needs to happen with the professionals in the industry right now. We need to have an open conversation. What are the benefits? What are the pros and cons? And you know what? If it's if if one of the if one of the one of the things that pops up, and if somebody says, "Well, it's bad because it'll limit the amount of people that get in," you know what? Then I'm going to be all for it. Honestly, I'm going to say yeah, right now, I'm, I'm on record right now. March 15th, 2017, if, if that is one of the top reasons to limit the amount of people, then I'm all for it because I, it, it should be something that people want to strive to become, right? Man, right. I just right. crushed my soapbox, so I don't think I have anything else to rant about. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. Uh, I told you. I just, I, I don't know. I, I want people to have the opportunity because it's an, I tell you what, man, it's, it's an awesome career to have. I mean, I love telling people that I'm a personal trainer. This is what I do for a living. Um, I do think it's kind of funny when I say that, uh, even working with the clients that I've worked with for a couple of years now, and they'll sometimes somebody says like, well, what, what else do you do? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. 50 hours. This is exactly, this is my career. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. I'm not, I don't have a bartending job. <laughs> or, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a full-time fireman, part-time trainer. Like it, it just, it, it's this weird thing that people think like, uh, I'm going to work a nine to five and then from six to, to eight, I'm going to go train clients. Like, no, yeah. I'm doing this from 5.00 AM to, you know, 5.00 PM. Like this is what I do. Yeah. And, um, and people who want to do that, I want to welcome those people with open arms who, who are willing to put in the hard work to do it because it's a grind and it's not always fun, but if you love it, and you're willing to invest, you know, two, three, four years of your life to building a, a solid client base, then you can make a great living and you can be super happy. And getting up at 4 a.m. to me, I don't, that's not even a big deal. Like, yeah, you, get, you learn to live with it. <laughs> who cares? I really, I mean, honestly, like I, my wife all the time, you know, she, she'll get, she gets up today. I don't know whatever time she got up. It was way after me. I know that. But, uh, <laughs> I love you, Melissa. But, uh, <laughs> But look, but look, like she's it's like I don't know how you do it. As soon as my alarm goes off at four a.m., I just I give her a kiss and I get out of bed and I yeah, go. I mean, who cares? And, and what I love about you know I, I I try to be as transparent as possible with our students about okay, this is these are the realities of what what you might be getting into. Um, just because there's there's times where I wish my mentors would have been more more open with me mm -hmm. about realities of of our field. Yep. From the hours to the pay to what you might have to go through, kind of thing. Um, but what what happens there? Yes, you will. You maybe drive a few people away. Yeah. But you're also going to attract the people who hear that and are still going to stay in it. And those are the people that you want. Definitely. 
right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the people that the people that want to stay in it are going to know the value of of maybe only having like five clients the first year. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's, that's what that's what it comes down to. If you don't give yourself, are there the outliers that all of a sudden just just blow up and have yeah. you know forty clients in the first year? There, I'm sure they're out there and good for them. But the majority of people are going to end up losing more clients than they end up having in five years. You know, they'll, they'll look at their book and say, wow, I, I've trained hundreds of people and majority of them I no longer even see, but I have my, my solid group of 20 or 30 or whatever it is. And that's just, that goes, that goes with uh, all part of it. You don't get taught that though. We don't, we don't get taught that and nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the grind. It's just we go out and go to, go to LA Fitness, which is a great starting point. And, you know, you make 18 bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, even to have a, even for an educated trainer to not make that, to not make that money and still be able to help people. It's just, it's, it's, it's extremely disappointing and very sad. I get that you have to start somewhere and those places hire anybody and everybody. But, um, man, if you're out there and you have a degree and you have knowledge and you know, you should, you should get paid what you're worth. That's yeah, that's, it, that's what it comes down to. And, and I think that's where maybe higher, higher standards may benefit. Right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I'm, oh man, I'm so back and forth on it all the time. (laughs) I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm contradicting myself because I'll say one thing and then you bring something like that. I'm like, yep, you know, you're right. You know? Yeah. But you know, I think with regards to not turn, churning out, you know, cookie cutter, everyone's doing the same. I mean, that's where the, that's where the practical experience comes in. And I'm not saying that I know how to, how to do this or how it needs to be structured, but as long as, you know, um, they're getting that on the floor time with a coach or under a trainer, right? You're, you're going to get people that are still varied in their approaches. And, but, but you're going to get people and you're going to turn out people that know the, um, the basics really, really well. They know the principles. Like Nick Tuminello always has a great saying of principles are, are going to guide you. As long as you stick to the principles, you can do whatever you want, but make sure you don't yeah. go against principles. Right. And that's what I think higher standards are going to ensure that we have. Definitely. Is people who understand the principles of sound training, safe training, and then the variation comes with who do, who do you work under with your practical experience. Yes. Hopefully when, when you're still in school. Yes. And then it just graduates from there and then you can start adding things to your tool belt. Hallelujah. Sure. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just hit it on the head. Like that, the, the, the prince, the training principles should remain the same, but the exercises can vary. The way you manipulate it can vary, but the principles need to stay the same across exactly. the board. There's yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, this is a little off of a topic, but how do you feel about trainers working with insurance companies? Do you, do you have any thoughts at all? Because I, I had this conversation today and um, someone was like, man, I bet you wish you could work with uh, insurance companies. I'm like, you know what? No, not, not really. But I've heard other people, other trainers kind of like, oh, I think that'd be kind of cool because it's like a direct input because then you'll, you'll get, you're guaranteed to get people because more people will come to you. But it's like a, think about a doc, not, not comparing us to doctors and I'm not a heart mm-hmm. surgeon, <laughs> but a doctor, you know, we complain about, how they how they make us wait for an hour and we only get to see them for 10 minutes it's be um, maybe i got to be careful because i i don't want to upset anybody in the health and health care field <laughs> in the insurance field but i don't want to be told how much i'm i should be valued at based on principles that i or based on standards that i i have zero control over you know i don't want to have to rely on cutting every single person down to 30 minutes just because I need to get more people in the door mm, to get yeah. the same amount of living. I don't know. Have you, have you thought about that at all? Has anybody ever brought that up to you? Do you have any opinions on it? Uh, honestly, man, I, that is not an issue that I've, I've ever really been exposed to a ton. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry. I, I don't have a ton to add with no, that. That's an interesting, interesting thought though, for sure. Yeah. I think it, 
And yeah. I don't know if that could come along with licensure, licensure and accreditations like that. I, I don't know if that could be tossed into that conversation. You know, you're seen now as, let's just say they, you're a, let's just say there's a big umbrella category now that says you are part of the medical field. Okay. Let's just th- I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't want to piss anybody off. So everybody settle down. But <laughs> I, you know, if, if that happens, then how does that affect yeah. Uh, pay rate, pay scale, yeah. time with clients, amount of clients we see, you know, things like that. So I wonder. Yep. Those I mean, are all good, good topics to, to think about and bring up with the more we discuss and um, think about standards like that. You know, I mean, there's always going to be pros and cons to it all, you know. So, yeah. um, but that's again stuff that, you know, I. If we're going to train personal trainers as students, if we're going to train them, they need to be aware of that kind of stuff. Like, yes, should be aware of this. And, um, yeah, that's, those are all really good thoughts. Yeah. Yep. Corey, hey, I, uh, I know you've had a long day and, uh, you probably want to get some rest and get ready to shape the future leaders of tomorrow's fitness industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so if people have more questions, they have comments, concerns, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you just search Corey Van Wyke and Corey is with a K, K-O-R-E-Y. Um, I'm on Instagram, Corey.VanWyk. Uh, Twitter is just at Corey Van Wyke. I'm not real fancy with my Twitter handles. Mm, that's okay. Um, <laughs> email, uh Corey.VanWyke at nwciowa.edu. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, I hope people that, that do listen to this and if they have any interest in becoming a personal trainer, a strength coach, I hope they do reach out because I think it's super important. That the, the, conversation, yeah. the conversation needs to continue. And um, anyway, I, I appreciate you taking the time again, Corey, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric.